we're going to start our summer series today. Uh, on the back of your worship handout, you'll find our outline for today. So when I look at a summer series, I, it has to have several criteria that fit it. First of all, it has to be biblical, so it's spiritually profitable, right? Secondly, um, we need to have a common theme, something that kind of holds it all together. But third, each message really needs to be independent of all the other messages because some of you aren't going to be here for all of them, right? So if you show up for, you know, um, installments five, six, and seven, but you missed, you know, three and four, and they're all kind of interconnected, the pieces aren't going to fit together. So, so what I want to do this summer, and, and I think this is always profitable. I think the Scriptures encourages us to do this. We read a, 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 a saw a, a reference, Christina made a reference to, a few minutes ago to a passage from Hebrews chapter 12, which says that, you know, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, let us run the race that is before us kind of idea that, that they're in this encouragement to us. So I want to look at legends of the faith this summer. And, with, and constantly be asking the question, how can we look at their lives and learn how to do faithfulness today? So we want to learn faithfulness from those who have been faithful. And I want to start today with Elijah, okay? Um, Elijah is, is a very interesting figure in the Old Testament. It's interesting. We don't know anything about his call. In 1 Kings chapter 17, out of the blue... This guy, Elijah the Tishbite, just emerges on the scene, and he goes to the king, and he says, God's told me there's going to be a drought. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's going to be a long time. Bye. And he leaves. And, and then we see his story through the, first, through the chapter 17 as he departs, and he's fed by the birds, and et cetera, and finally when the brook, and then he keeps going along. But, and this is quite a thing, right? I mean, this is not like, an, like a... a, a you know, this is not like a, um, I mean, he is walking up to the king, the guy who has the power of life and death. He, he's a nobody at this point, right? Nobody knows him, and, he, and we don't know anything about him. He just emerges into history of Israel, and he, and he steps up, and he says, God has told me that there's going to be a drought in the land, and, and he's taking on the king. And the king is not a guy who's seeking after God. We know from 1 Kings chapter 16 that when, that when Ahab became king, he, he, um, he became a worshiper of Baal. Now, this is about 55 years after the kingdom divided. You know, you, you know we had three kings where we had a, a unified Israel, where we had Saul, then we had David, then we had Solomon. And then they went north and south, Judah and the nation of Israel. We're going to look at that this summer in our BBQ series. We're going to look at biblical history, the line of biblical history. I think that's going to be in the second week. And, and about 55 years later, Ahab emerges on the scene as the king over the northern kingdom of Israel. He marries a woman by the name of Jezebel, who is, is not an Israelite. She's from Sidonia, and she, Sidon, and she, is, um, she is into Baal worship. And so she has all the prophets killed, as many as she can get her hands on. And, and, then, and Elijah is stepping into that context, and he's saying, I speak for God. He's standing in the presence of the king who has authority over life and death. He says there's going to be a drought in the land. And then he leaves for three years. And it says it was so dry that even on the coolest nights, not an ounce of dew would settle on any of the plants. So by the time we get to chapter 18, they've already killed tons and tons of livestock because they have no way to give them any water. And so the king and 
and his, um, le- his, uh, the leader of his household begin to kind of pick that all up. And let's just, I want to just read ver- through verses 18. This is all going to take place on Mount Carmel. I'm gonna, let me show you a couple of photos here from, um, from our time in, in, in England. So this statue of Elijah commemorates what happened on the top of Mount Carmel. And so it's pretty impressive, especially when it's like 105 degrees and that white marble was just radiating in the, in the sun. But uh, it, it was quite a scene. And, and if you look out, the next slide, you get a feel for just what an important place this was. This was the high country that controlled the Jezreel Valley where they grew just a huge portion of the food that went on. And, and so this is looking back out. Here's another view of the same. And if you look really closely at the bottom, there's a little green strip. It looks about, about an eighth of an inch wide, but that's actually the brook that they went down to where they killed all of the prophets of Baal after um, the, the events of, of, on Mount Carmel took place. And just to prove that we were actually there, see, we were actually there. All right, there we go. And um, so that's enough of that, right? We can move on. So follow along in your pastor's scripture with me as, as I as I read with you today. I'm going to read virtually all of, um, of chapter 18 to us. I'll make a few comments along the way, and then I want to draw back and say, what can we learn from Elijah about being faithful today? It says, after a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. It says, go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the surface of the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. So here, here, Ahab has had three years just to simmer in his anger, right, towards Elijah. I mean, it's just building and building and building. And God says, you know what, I want you to go back and face this guy, face to face, this guy who has the power of life and death to, put, to take you out. I want you to go back and present yourself to him. So the famine was se- severe in Samaria, and that's a reference to the northern um, kingdom of Israel in the territory they had. So Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. In other words, this is his, his, his White House chief of staff. So Obadiah was a man who greatly feared the Lord, and he had taken 100 prophets and hid them, 50 men to a cave, and provided them with food and water when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets. So Ahab said to Obadiah, Go throughout the land to every spring of water and to every wadi. Those are the little brooks that run down between the, in the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass so we can keep the horses and mules alive and not have to destroy any cattle. So they divided the land between them in order to cover it. Ahab went off one way and Obadiah another way by himself. So while Obadiah was walking along the road, Elijah suddenly met him. When Obadiah recognized him, he fell with his face to the ground and said, it is, is it you, my Lord, Elijah? And he replied, It is I. Go tell your Lord, Elijah is here. But, but Obadiah said, What sin have I committed that you were handing your servant over to Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord lives, God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent someone searching for you. When they said he is not here, he made that nation or kingdom swear that they had not found you. Now you say, go tell my Lord, Elijah is here. But when I leave, the Spirit of the Lord may carry you off to some place that I don't know. And then when I go and report it to Ahab, and he doesn't find you, he's going to kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord for my youth. Wasn't it, wasn't it reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel 
slotted the Lord's prophets. In other words, he's pleading for mercy and trying to make his case here, right? I hid a hundred of the prophets of the Lord, 50 men to a cave, and I provided them with food and water. And now you tell me, go, tell your Lord Elijah is here. He will kill me. So, and so Obadiah is not confident in this whole experience, right? I mean, he, he's like, you know what? Why do you have a death wish out for me? I'm on your side, right? You know, so Elijah says to him, as the Lord of hosts lives, Before whom I stand, today I will present myself to Ahab. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and report to him. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you destroyer? Some of your translations have the word, you troubler of Israel. Now that's not a good thing when the king says that to you. This is not like a first grader walking up to an eighth grader on the playground, you know, and it's not very intimidating. This is the king, probably with all of his royal entourage behind him, right, riding up in a chariot and the whole nine yards, and he's getting down, and he's looking at lowly Elijah, and and he calls him the destroyer of Israel. But Elijah's not intimidated. He says, I have not destroyed Israel, but you, you and your father's house have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commandments and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Baal and Asherah were the the male and female deities of the Canaanite fertility cult. In other words, this is what they believed made the ground grow and all that, you know, the crops grow and the animals be fertile and all those kinds of things. And and, and, and so there were 400 prophets of Baal and 400 of Asherah, and they all were supported by the king and his table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites, and they gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. They didn't get to ride up to the top in an air-conditioned bus like Christina and I did, but they had to walk up to the top, right? Then Elijah approached all the people, and he says, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? A penetrating question. If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. They they didn't want to choose sides. They're still trying to play both sides off against the middle kind of idea. Wavering. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. In other words, it's one against 450. Let two bulls be given to us. They had to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, split it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh. Then the God who answers with fire, he is God. So they're going to have a barbecue cook-off to prove who, who is the real God, right? And um, that's just a little paraphrasing there, but you get the idea. So all the people said, you know what, that sounds good. Well, let's see who's going to show up and prove that he's God. So Elijah said to the prophets, of Baal, eh, you know, you, you're, there's a lot of you. You guys go first, right? So they took the bull in verse 27, and he prepares it all the way. He says, and they're crying out, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they did their lame dance around the altar they had made. And at noon, so now this has been going on for hours now, right? At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, well, shout louder. For he's God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he hasn't made up his mind yet. Maybe he's wandered away. Some of the, some, 
some think the English, the language in there from the Hebrew means maybe he's in the bathroom, you know, he's disposed for a minute, right? Just keep going. Or, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and you'll wake him up. They shouted loudly and they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blush, blood was gushing out of them. And all afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound. No one answered and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people approached, and then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. He took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons of water. So there's a moat, right, around the, around the altar. Next he arranged the wood cut up the bowl and place it on the wood. He says, well, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. And then a second time, and they did it a second time. And then a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all over the altar and it even filled the trench with water. So you ever tried to get wet wood to light? Seems like every time I go camping, that's the only kind of wood that, that's why I don't camp anymore. So anyway... At the time for offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that people will know that you, Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. So not only did it cook the bull, and it burned up all the wood, it incinerated the rocks and dried out the, the water. I mean, God left no question, right? So then Elijah orders for the prophets of Baal to be seized, and, um, and, and there's a victory there as the, the prophets are, are executed. And then you pick up the story in verse 42. He says, so Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Mount Carmel. And he bowed down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. And then he said to his servants, go up and look towards the sea. So he went up, and he looked and said, there's nothing. Seven times Elijah said, go back. On the seventh time, he reported, there's, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand that's coming up from the sea. So picture it perfectly blue sky, right? No haze. They're looking out to the Mediterranean. It's large distance away. They're looking for any sign. And seven times, Elijah keeps praying. His servant keeps going back. And finally, they see just a small cloud, just a little puff, you know, on, on the horizon. So then Elijah says, as a result of just seeing that one little puff of a cloud, Elijah says, go and tell Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. So this area, when it rained and rained hard, it got muddy, and the chariots just got stuck in the mud, and there was no place for them to go. So in a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a downpour. <laughs> so Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. The power of the Lord was on Elijah. <laughs> no kidding. And he tucked his mantle under his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Jezreel is a city off to the east. The valley came to have its name after Jezreel, the, the Jezreel Valley. Great story. The story of, 
of, of Elijah goes on into the first couple of chapters of, of 2 Kings, and, and then the, it kind of transitions over to the story of Elisha. Um, I think Elijah is a wonderful picture that you and I need to learn from because the dynamics that he faced are the exact same dynamics that we face. You know, one of the things that is a reality, if you take following Christ seriously, you're going to discover that you're going to face opposition. It's, it's just, I mean, Jesus said, you know, in John 15, other places, he said, hey, listen, if they've hated me and I'm the teacher, guess what? <laughs> the world's not going to like you either. And you're going to face opposition. You're going to face a hostile environment as you try to answer God's call in your life. Many of us today, we, we get that, right? We, there's many things that we hold about what's important in life, what's right and wrong in the eyes of God, what it means to be successful, that are in direct opposition to the world's values. They're counter-cultural. And as you and I try to live those out, whether it's sometimes in our, in our homes, sometimes in our workplaces, sometimes in our neighborhoods, etc., we, we face opposition. People say, I don't agree with that. i, I, I got to tell you, there, there are people that I know who simply don't like me because of what I believe. They, they, they don't think I'm a bad person. I've never been mean to them. They just don't like me because of what I believe, and they just reject you out of that. That can be painful, but that's the kind of environment we live in. That's the kind of environment that Jesus says you and I are going to be facing as we try to live out our faith, right? We're going to live out our faith in the context of a world that's not going to hold us up, but is going to try to hold us back. And when we look at Elijah, we see some of the things that are necessary for you and I to be able to show up and be faithful in answering God's call in the midst of a hostile environment. And I just want to point out three things to you, but I'm going to have a whole bunch of subpoints. See, it's always better as a preacher to say, I only got three points. If I told you I got like 12 points, you'd be saying, I'm turning that off. What time is it? I only got three points. I got a whole bunch of subpoints. I'm going to go fast. First one of those, if you and I are going to do this, we have to have be people who live by conviction. We have, to be, we have to live by conviction, right? And I want to make a distinction. There's a difference between what you believe and what your convictions are. Your beliefs are what you hold to be true. Your convictions are what you're going to actually do. And those two things are not the same. They're not the same. Sometimes we think, well, I believe this, so that's my conviction. That's not the case. Many of us, we can look at lots of issues in our lives and say, I know what the Word of God says, but I don't do that. So we believe, but we're not convicted to do it. So the thing we look at Elijah is that he lived by conviction. What he believed, he actually did. Now, here's some foundations of being a person of conviction. One is that you have to know that God has spoken. You have to know that God has spoken. That, that's, at the, that's at the source of Elijah's movement. God says to him, I mean, we're, you're toiling through 1 Kings, right? No Elijah, no Elijah, no Elijah, no Elijah. You get to chapter 17, you got this powerful king who's adverse to anything that has to do with following Yahweh, following God, and then, boom, chapter 17, verse 1, and Elijah walks up to him and says, there's gonna, God says there's going to be a drought in the land. Because <laughs> he knew that God had spoken, Right? Now, you and I live in a place, when he goes back after being off in another area for three years, out of sight, 
not out of mind, but out of sight, he, God speaks to him again, and he goes back. He knows that God has spoken. Now, you and I, I think, on this side of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we're, we're, we, have, we have a huge advantage <laughs> over, over these guys because, one, we, we have the written Word of God that has been able to be mass-produced for all of us. And listen, I, I, you know, despite, any, I don't know what you listen to, what you hear, whatever, the vast majority of English translations that you can put your hands on that aren't paraphrases but they're translations, you can have tremendous confidence in them. King James, NIV, the New American Standard, the Holman Christian Study Bible, whatever, they, they, are, they are solid. I mean, they're good translations. We have this wonderful gift of the Word of God, right? And then we also have the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God within us as the children of God. Part of the, tra- the action of us, you, of, uh, you and I actually becoming children of God through our faith in Jesus Christ, when we acknowledge our sin, we turn away from sin, and we choose to follow Christ in faith, the Holy Spirit enters into us, and it says that His job is to guide us into all truth. It's God's working within us to bring us to a place where we can say, I know God has spoken. I know what God has said. And that's the second part, is really to know what God has said. And what I mean by that is, is it's more than just being able to repeat it, but it's actually knowing the significance of it, to, to know what it means, right? And, and there's some places where that's an interesting journey for some of us, right? You know, I, I, recently I've been working through a Bible study, and we spent uh, with a, with a uh, a friend of mine, just a one-on-one Bible study. He's kind of seeking and quiet, trying to figure out where faith fits and et cetera. It's been a great experience, but we started in the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, because it's just a lot of good stuff in a hurry. And, and you know, you're reading through. It says, you know, it, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you're even angry at somebody, you're liable to judgment. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to act in a hostile manner towards anybody, but even if you're angry at them, you can be judged. Well, what in the world does that mean, <laughs> you know? And then you can just follow along, and then if you give action to it and you call them a fool or a moron, as it's translated in the Holman Christian, you know, the, it, it just grows. Same with the same thing. You've been heard, you said, you know, don't, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look after somebody the opposite says, and you lust after them in your mind. You don't have to do anything to it. You don't have to that do you've already committed. Well, what does that mean? You know? But we need to know what the word of God says. We need to not, you know, and, and we need to work at it and, and understand it. Because there are things that are hard to figure out. That's why I think one of the things this summer is we do this this uh, Burger, Burgers, a Bible, Burgers Bible and Questions is we're going to work through this Bible one-on-one thing. I think a lot of you will find that helpful because you're going to understand kind of how the whole thing fits together, all 60. Six of the 69 of these books, 66 of these books that go together. You know, we're, we're going to figure out how that all works. But you need to know what the Word of God says. Elijah knows what God has said. He knows that he's spoken. He knows what he said. And he knows how it applies. He's got no choice. He's got to go. And he goes. And we need to know how the Word of God applies to us. You know, I mean, for instance... How many of you, when you read the Scripture, says, you know, if your right eye causes you to sin against you, just pluck it out and get rid of it? I don't see too many of you missing right eyes out there. So, you know, you've got to figure out how it applies, right? What, what does it mean in terms of how do I live Monday through Saturday, not just what we talk about on a Sunday morning from 9 to 10 kind of thing? You've got to know how it applies. Same with the, 
you, you know, many places. And listen, this is where I think prayer is so important for us. Because I think it's in personal prayer that belief gets fortified into conviction. And the fact that so many of us struggle to have any kind of a meaningful prayer life. You know, a lot of us, we, we will spend a little bit of time reading the Word in the morning, maybe, but then we just rush out the door and keep going. And there's no time to really pray, let it settle in and let truth become conviction. And I got to tell you, there are way, way too many Christians living their lives today without very much conviction. They know what they believe, but what they do is something totally different. And there is no way that you and I are going to land up being faithful in a hostile environment if we're, not, if we're just trying to live on beliefs. We have to be living on the convictions that God has given us. Here's the second thing I want to give you. And if you're looking for a specific reference to back all of that up, you look at verse 36 where Elijah says, in other thing, he says, it says, when he says it, the latter part says, and it's at your word that I have done all these things. Elijah's actions were based on the convictions that developed, based upon what God had said to him, and he acted. You've got to have conviction. Second thing, you've got to have confidence. You've got to have confidence, right? Now, this isn't confidence in your circumstances. I mean, think about Elijah, right? been gone, comes back, and there's nothing in the circumstances that are going to say it's going to rain. None, right? I mean, first of all, it hasn't rained in three years, so that's a, that's a pretty long time, right? I'm looking at my front lawn, it hasn't rained in three weeks, you know, and it's pretty brown. Three years it hasn't rained, right? And, it, and on top of that, you look it up at the sky, there's not even a cloud. Not even a cloud. So his confidence is not built in the circumstances, right? Secondly, not built on his resources, <laughs> right? You know, as you look at verse 22, Elijah believed he was all by himself. He says, I'm the only one left. There's 450 prophets of Baal, not to mention the 400 prophets of Asherah who are behind him. I'm all by myself. Now, if I do my math right, I think that's 850 to 1, right? So it's not his resources. It's not like, a, it's not like a, I, can say, I can buy this election. It's just not going to happen. He doesn't have the resources for it, right? The, on top of that, even the people, he, he gathers them together. He says, you know what? You guys need to decide. Are you on God's side or are you on the side of false religion, Baal? And they're like, they wouldn't commit, right? I mean, so it's not, he's not, his confidence isn't in his resources. His confidence is not in himself either, Right? And, and, and we can't base our confidence in ourselves. You know, Elijah wasn't trusting in himself. He, he was only doing these things, as he said later, says, it's only because God has said that these things are going to happen. And, and that's really where it comes down to, the confidence that God is going to keep his word. That what God has said to us is right. Let me translate that into more to, to, to more modern-day language for you and I, the way it kind of fits in. It's whether or not you and I actually believe that God's way is the best way to live life. That, that's, that's the struggle that every single, every single day when you get up and you put on your shoes and go out to work, out to school, whatever you do, the number one challenge you're facing is, 
do I, do, do I really believe, am I convicted that doing life God's way is the best way to do life? That's the challenge every single one of us face. Do we have confidence that what God has told us is the right way to do life is actually the right way to do life? And that's the best way to do life. And you and I face that challenge all the time. And, and, and the, the push to, and, and shove, the, the, this is a place where I think in many cases, you know, this is kind of like our Achilles heel, right? You know, we, we, we love to hear the stories about what God's, that kind of stuff, but we get to a place in our journey where, you know, we, 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 when, when push comes to shove, we really have to make a choice. We're saying, are we gods or, some, or something else or whatever? And, and we, we're just like the Israelites. We're like, I don't want to choose sides until I see how this is going to work out, right? I don't know, if, you know, th- that kind of idea. And, and, and we hesitate. We, we don't really trust. We don't have the confidence that what God has told us is true. Here's the third thing I want you to see. So first of all, you gotta, it's gotta, in order to be faithful in a, con, a hostile environment, you've got to live by conviction. Not by beliefs, but by conviction. You also have to be somebody who, who you know, that, that you have confidence that what God has said is going to stand and it's what's best. The third thing is you have to be ready for the conflict. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict. I, I think many people, they, you know, they, they, they respond to Christ and then they wonder why their lives just don't become perfect overnight. <laughs> you know? It's like, what's up with that? I thought God loved me, that kind of stuff, and I'm, it's hard here, and it's hard there, and I, this hasn't won, and we struggle with stuff. I've got to tell you, there's going to be conflict, and the Scripture's pretty upfront about that. One of the things it tells us is we're going to experience conflict with ourselves, right? First Peter tells us, you know, we need to be on guard against the fleshly desires that are going to wage war against our souls. There's an inner civil war going on, right? He says you need to be ready for that. We need to identify that. Christina's reading a book right now called The Screwtape Letters where C.S. Lewis kind of talks about some of the ways that the, the evil one could use kind of our own spirituality against us and actually in terms of our, our faithfulness to the Lord. He, the way to kind of fuel that inner civil war and make us lose the battle. The second thing is we're going to have conflict with the world. We're going to have conflict with the world. You know, Jesus said people don't, didn't like me simply because... Uh, Jesus, in, in John chapter 15, let me read these verses for you because I, I think many of us, we don't, we don't believe this. We, we, get, we get in a place where the world points fingers at us and then we wonder what's the matter with us. Now, sometimes we deserve it because sometimes believers are obnoxious. That's not what I'm advocating at all. But you know what? There's some ways if we're going to stand on the truth, we're not always going to be popular, Right? And listen to what Jesus says in verses verses 18 through 20 of John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember, remember that I have spoken to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. I mean, are we ready for that kind of conflict? And and there's going to be that kind of conflict. If you're not experiencing a lot of that conflict, it's probably because you're really not living by conviction that's based upon what God has said, but you're probably living on 
you, you're finding ways to twist it all around, et cetera, and just settle for beliefs, but my actions are a totally different thing, and there isn't that friction going on. We're also going to experience conflict with the evil one, with Satan. You know, I, you know, sometimes you get a little hesitant talking about this stuff because it kind of sounds like Harry Potter and all this other kinds of mythical mumbo-jumbo stuff, but the Scripture is re- really clear that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. The, 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 the war has been won, but the battles are still being fought, and we're going to experience that. You know, the, the Scripture challenges us to be ready to stand guard against the tactics of the devil. The, our Women of Hope Bible study this spring, they, they looked at the armor of God, the pieces that God has given us to be ready for this conflict. But it's coming, and it's there. And if you and I aren't ready for the conflict and we're not prepared for it, we're not going to land up being faithful. So let me conclude. Just a couple closing thoughts. Elijah's this wonderful picture, right, of what does it really take to be faithful in a hostile environment. And, and here, here, just a couple closing points. First of all, I want to be absolutely clear that God is still calling his people to be faithful. No, if, ands, ors, buts about it, God is still calling his people to be faithful, okay? Secondly, the life that God wants for you is built on faithfulness. There is no other way for me, no other way for you to experience all these blessings that God's trying to pour out from the heavenly places upon us as his children without faithfulness. Just isn't. There isn't any shortcuts. There aren't any ways around it. There aren't any get-out-or-jail-free kind of cards. The life that God wants for you, the life that God is prepared to bless for you, is based on faithfulness. And God still loves and God still longs to bless you as his child. So be faithful because you're convicted. Be faithful. Because you're confident that God's going to keep the word, keep the promises that he's made to us. And be faithful because you're ready for the challenges of opposition when they come. Let's pray together. And then we'll... God, thank you for just the privilege of being your child today. You know, Father, Elijah is an incredible picture. You know, um, I don't know if I could have stood in his shoes. Maybe I should use the word sandaled. Uh, it, it took a tremendous amount of faith, a great deal of risk, a lot of courage. And God, I, I, I'm amazed at the fact that you've designed every single one of us as your children to be just like that. People of courage, strength. God, help us to be faithful by being people of conviction people of great confidence and people ready for the conflict so that you might be honored and we might see the fire fall in our lives as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a concluding song and have a chance to worship the Lord through our gifts today, through giving. So if you'd stand with me and we'll get a chance to sing our final song.
is going to be busy tonight about midnight because we have a group of teenagers who are going away on MFUGE, which stands for Mission Fuge. This year they're going to Virginia. And so Ken and a, and a team of adults are taking 16, eight, 17 kids. And I'd like to invite anyone who's going on the trip to come up. All right? We're going to have a chance to pray for them. That's one of the things we'd love to do. In fact, as you depart in just a few minutes, they're going to have cards with the names of the kids and the uh, uh, sponsors who are going. And you, if you want to take one of those cards, you can pray for the, the uh, name of the, uh, of the teen who's in that uh, group. And um, so this isn't all of them, obviously. This is the best-looking part of them, right? So, and um, new, midnight tonight, right, Ken? Lynchburg, Virginia. So not only will they be engaged in a number of a worship experience on a daily basis, some Bible studies that they'll be doing, they'll actually be going out and doing mission projects in the community. They'll be doing some direct evangelism with kids and other groups. They'll be doing some what we call servant evangelism, painting, and doing other kinds of things in various projects and homes and that kind of stuff, and just kind of helping to resource the churches in that area to make a difference. And so it um, should be a, a great experience. for them. How many of you have been on one of these trips before? So you're going you're gonna to show the rookies how to, how to do all this? All right. So I want to take the chance to pray for you guys as you go. Anything else you want to add to this before we pray? We'll put the coffee pot on a timer so when you get here at midnight, it'll be ready to go. All right, that'll work. And um, absolutely pray for safety as they go. Pray for just really just eyes to see, ears to hear, those kinds of things of what God's saying. And also God just to to show up and manifest himself through their hands and feet, through their mouths and, and through their eyes as, as God uses them as his instrument in, in the community. And so after we get done with the prayer, if you just pause for a second in your seat so they can get to the back. Some of the kids have the cards. And as you exit, if you want to have a chance to pray for one of the kids by name or one of the, the sponsors, you can uh, grab one of those cards on your way out. Let's pray for just a minute. God, thanks for these that are ready to go. Uh, God, we do pray for safety and journey. We, you know, God, we're, we're looking for you to be glorified. And we don't, we don't want there to be any tragedies. And so we would clearly would ask for safety as they, they drive. Let, let the van, keep the two vans from breaking down and let all of it kind of work out just, just seamlessly. We really pray for a great, great week uh, for um, all that are going, both the adult sponsors as well as the, the 17 teens. And we really do pray that they would experience transformation. You know, Father, we throw that word around a lot, but I just, I just pray they come home and say, you know what, God can do things with me that I never thought of before. And that's a, that's a really cool thing. And so I pray that it's really some great things would happen. Father, you'd speak through the Bible studies they're a part of, the worship services would be challenging and encouraging. I pray that as they get a chance to go out and serve in your name, whether it's talking to people one-on-one or playing games with kids or teens or, or manning a paintbrush or raking leaves or, or doing whatever they're doing, Father, I really pray that you would use them um, in, a, in some special ways where clearly you can be manifest. Just as, just as clearly as the fire was manifest on the top of Mount Carmel, I pray, Father, that you'd manifest yourself. You'd show up in the things that are happening. So you, I'd bless it. Father, you know, it's not a bad thing for us to pray as well that they would just have a lot of fun. It'd just be a blast. So we just really lift them to you today. And we thank you for their willingness to go as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, give them a minute, and then you are dismissed. Have a great day.